Thank you, brother. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you all. We are glad to be here. For those of you who don't know my wife, I'll introduce her. I always tell people she's my favorite wife, and she's the one we, we travel together. So I'm grateful that she's here and uh, grateful to see you. Pastor's uh, away for an exciting event, isn't he? The uh, dedication of his little grandson, right? Got it right? And so uh, we're, we're thrilled and appreciate the opportunity to come and, and preach with him away. So God's given us a lot of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We, we love every one of them. We have uh, 18 grandchildren, and we have 18 great-grandchildren, and two more on the way. So it's very exciting. It's wonderful until Christmas comes, and then you go broke. But other than that, it's, it's great. So, Well, let me ask you a question as we start. Pressure. Is pressure good or pressure bad? How many say, I think pressure is good? Raise your hand. Okay, let's go. I think pressure is bad. Raise your hand. You say, I don't know. I have too much pressure sometimes, right? Well, I think it can be either way, right? Sometimes you think pressure is bad, but pressure can be good. Uh, I've been pressured by the Lord. Have you? That's always good. You know, he's putting the pressure on. But also you get pressured by the devil. You get pressured by people. You get pressured by circumstances. So pressure. We're going to talk about facing pressure this morning. I want you to take your Bible and open to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll give you a moment to get there. And I will just say to you at the outset that uh, the issue with pressure is whether we let it push us to the Lord or will it push us away from the Lord. But ultimately, you can't escape pressure. Sometimes we think if there's just any pressure, but it's going to be around for a long time. So it's how we respond to it. So we are in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to pick up in a minute in verse 17. We're going to make our way through the balance of chapter 18 rather quickly, and then we're going to focus on what happens in chapter 19. And we are looking at the experience of the wonderful servant of God, Elijah. He was a great prophet. But he came under great pressure, and he struggled with it. So let's pray before we go any further. Our Father, we are grateful to be together this morning. And as we pray, we are immediately mindful of Pastor and his family, and we lift them to you and pray that this will be a sweet and precious morning for them. And we rejoice with them in the good things you're doing in their family and then we turn to ask for your blessing on us we pray that your spirit would find liberty to work in us and to challenge us where necessary to change us indeed father if there's someone here today who's never been saved we pray that this might be the day they would come to know the lord jesus christ but we believe because we're opening your word that you have something for each one of us. And we pray that we might be receptive, we might be challenged, we might respond to what you have for us. We'll give you all the praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in 1 Kings, verse 17. Let me just read that verse to get us started. It says this, 
And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Now, how do we get to that point? Where are we in the experience of Elijah? You might remember that Ahab was a king. He was the king of Israel, Elijah, the prophet of God. Ahab and his sinful wife Jezebel had led the nation into great sin and rebellion and the rejection of the true and living God. Elijah was sent to Ahab, and it's recorded for us back in chapter 17. He was sent to Ahab to give him this message. Elijah said, it is not going to rain again until I say so. Now, you can imagine how that message was received. I think it was probably received as, that guy's a nut. Where'd he come from? What's he talking about? And, and off Elijah went, but pretty soon it hadn't rained. And so Ahab is looking for Elijah, and he's sending people out. Where is this guy, Elijah? And then God speaks to Elijah and says, it's time for you to go back and see Ahab. And so that's where we are. And you can imagine that when Ahab saw Elijah, here's what he said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? That was his question. Hadn't rained in three and a half years. And he said, Are you the one who's caused all the trouble? Anybody ever say that to you? Raise your hand. <laughs> Are you the one that caused all the trouble? Yeah, I understand. That's good. I feel close to you already. You know. Well, Look what happens, verse 18. He answered, Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam, the false god Balaam. Baal. 19. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 450, which eat at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on the Mount Carmel. Elijah came unto all the people and said, here was the question of the day, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, I want you to look at your Bible and see that term Lord. I'm not sure what version you're looking at, but if you're looking at a King James Version, Lord is in all capital letters. You see that? Now, let me just mention to you, if you've never gotten that idea, that whenever in the Old Testament you see Lord in all capital letters, that was the translator's way of letting us know that the Hebrew word there was Jehovah. And if you ever find God in all capital letters, that's telling you the Hebrew word was Jehovah. Now, if you see God with a capital G and a lowercase O-D, that's telling you the Hebrew was Elohim, which is a common term for God. And if you ever see Lord, capital letter, small O-R-D, that's telling you that the Hebrew term was Adonai, which speaks of a, a Lord, a master. So I want you to, I say that because I want you to get the issue of what's happening here. Elijah said this, how long halt ye between two opinions? If Jehovah is God. That was the issue. Who's God? If Jehovah is God, follow him. 
But if Baal, if Baal is God, then follow him. The people answered him, not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men, etc. And so, if you know the story, Elijah sets up a contest. And the contest was going to be between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And so they said, let's get two bullocks, and we're going to have a sacrifice offered. So the prophets of Baal went first, and they got their bullock, and they killed it and cut it up and put it in pieces and put it on the altar. And they began to cry out for Baal to send fire. Baal was a god of fire and water. And the cry was, Baal, send fire down on this sacrifice. And the text tells us that that went on all day long, no fire. And finally, in the evening area, actually about probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon, time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, okay, you've had your turn, now it's my turn. So he repairs the altar of the Lord, puts wood on the altar, gets the bullet, kills it, cuts it up, puts it on the on the altar, and he begins to cry out for God, Jehovah, to send fire. And God did. And they had poured water on the sacrifice, if you remember, 12 different barrels of water just to soak it and eat one barrel for each of the tribes of Israel. And so he cries out, and all of a sudden, the fire of God fell from heaven. And the text says that it burned up the wood, burned up the altar, burned up the bullock, burned up everything, licked up all the water. And then Elijah said to the people basically this, so who is the real God? And the answer was, and you'll see it, look over in verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. They took them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, so now he's talking to this false king, phony king. He said, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Had it rained in three and a half years, he says to Ahab, you better get ready, you better get out of here, because I'm telling you, the rain is coming. And so Ahab gets something to eat and gets ready, gets his chariot, and he starts heading for Jezreel. Now, Jezreel is a place where he had a palace. That's where his wife Jezebel was. We'll see some of that in a moment. And so that's where he's going. When he starts going... Elijah goes up to the top of the mountains in Carmel. That's right along the, the coast of Israel. There's the Mediterranean Sea out there. Takes his servant up there, and Elijah starts to pray. And he prays for water to come, rain to come. And the first time the servant goes up, Elijah says, You see anything out there? He said, Nope, didn't see anything. And he prayed, Go again. Came back, didn't see anything. Goes again. Didn't see anything. Seven times the servant goes, and finally he says, and I always like this description, 
Look at verse 44. It came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Now, did you ever look at clouds and think you see something? Like, oh, that looks like a hand. That looks like a poodle. That looks like a, yeah, that's fun to do, isn't it? So, now, if you don't do that, you got to start doing that, you know. But anyway, that's what the servant said. It looks like a man's hand. And Elijah knew that meant the rain was coming. So, verse goes on. He said, go up. Say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Jezreel, about 26 miles from where they were. About 26 miles. So Ahab gets in his chariot, and he's on his way to Jezreel. Well, look at verse 46. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, get the picture, right? Ahab, he's in the chariot going 26 miles. Elijah is running 26 miles. And Elijah got to Jezreel, got to the palace before Ahab did. Now, I want to set the scene for you because we haven't gotten into our message yet. So I want to set the scene for you. So Elijah is there waiting for Ahab to come. And then finally, Ahab comes. He goes right past Elijah. He's going into the palace, and he's going to talk to his wicked wife, Jezebel, tell her what happened. And I suggest to you that Elijah thought that since they had seen the fire of God fall from heaven, that Ahab and Jezebel just might turn to the Lord. That's what he was thinking. Well, look what happened. Chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. Now, again, I'm picturing Elijah sitting there, and here comes the messenger, and he's thinking, here we go. We got it. Well, what happens? Here's what the messenger said, verse 2. Message from Jezebel. So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. That's not the message he was expecting. Believe me, the pressure was about to mount. Because Jezebel sends a message out and says, I want to tell you something. By tomorrow at this time, you are going to be dead. That was basically the message. You're going to be dead. I tell you, he, he was shocked by that. He thought, wait a minute. I thought, I thought with what, you know, what happened over there on Carmel, what, what happened with that fire, I thought these people would turn to God and here they're telling me I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be killed. Now, what would you think and hope 
that Elijah, the prophet of God, who had just seen the fire of God fall from heaven, what do you think he would say back to Jezebel? I'd like to think he'd say to that messenger, hey, listen, you go in there and tell that lady. She wasn't over there on Carmel. She didn't see the fire of God fall, and I am a servant of God. You just go tell her that. But that's not what happened. What did happen? Verse 3. When he saw that, when Elijah got this message from Jezebel, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba. Beersheba is way down south in Israel. Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, he left his servant in Beersheba. Verse 4, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's going further south, down into the desert area, into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What a response. He didn't stand up to Jezebel and Ahab. He ran. He left there as fast as he could go. And boy, down to Beersheba he goes. And that's uh, probably about 90 miles. So when this guy runs, he runs. He heads down to Beersheba. He leaves his servant there. He goes further down into the wilderness, down to the probably the Negev Desert. He finds a juniper tree, sits under that tree, and he turns to God and he said, I'm done. I want to die. Take my life away. Now compare that with, again, the fire of God falling just the day before he saw it. Well, here's a man who's under great pressure. I want to suggest to you that he had given all that he had to give. Sometimes you and I not get to that point. He had given himself over to the Lord. He had run those miles. He had to be worn out. He was emotionally worn out. He was spiritually worn out. He thought, he thought good things were going to happen. Good things did not happen. And all of a sudden, he's told, I'm going to kill you. And he said, I'm done. I'm getting out of here. 90 miles south, down to Beersheba. Another day down into the wilderness. And he just said, I want to die. Did he want to die? No, he didn't want to die. Not really. I always tease and say, if he wanted to die, he could have stayed right there with Jezebel. She's going to kill him the next day. It would have been easy. You know? But no, she, he goes down into the wilderness. He didn't want to die. But he had come under tremendous pressure and he's exhausted sometimes you and i can just get exhausted but it isn't what you go through believe me it's how you respond to what you go through that makes a difference elijah this great servant of god under the pressure just wanted to give up well watch what happens Verse 5, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. So he, he was sleeping. The angel says, wake up. You need to get something to eat. Has something to eat for him, something to drink for him. He goes and lays down, falls asleep again. This guy was exhausted, totally exhausted. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. The first thing I want you to notice is this. What was God's response to this worn-out servant who wanted to quit, wanted to die? What was God's response? It was a tender response, wasn't it? No wonder. I want you to think about that. Because you and I can be hard on one another when we see somebody just worn out and they give up and they're not serving. But God's response to you and to me is a tender response trying to restore us and encourage us and strengthen us. Never forget that. Now, it's interesting that the angel said, arise and eat, and then the angel said this, because the journey is too great for thee. Elijah, I want you to get up and get something else to eat because the journey is, is going to be tough, you know, too much. Now, here's a question. What was the journey? The angel said, the journey is too great for thee. What was the journey? I want to suggest to you that the journey that God had in mind for Elijah was to go back to serve him. You've gotten rest. You've gotten food. I'm here to minister to you. There's work to be done for God. Get something to eat because the journey's too great for thee. Well, I want you to see how Elijah responded. Verse 8. He arose, Elijah arose, did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat 40 days, 40 nights, unto Horeb, the Mount of God. So he ends up in Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, the term Horeb is used interchangeably in the Bible with the term Sinai. This is Mount Sinai. He ends up in Mount Sinai where Moses had gotten the law from God. Now, where's Mount Sinai? Well, let me tell you something. It is another 170 or 180 miles south. I want you to think about it, right? He's trying to get away from Jezebel. He says, I'm going 90 miles to Beersheba. I'm going another day down into the wilderness, and I just want to die. God says, no, get ready. Come on, I want to feed you. I want to encourage you that you got a great, great uh, journey ahead. He gets up and says, if you think I'm going back up there, I'm not. He said, I'm going down there. And he goes another 170 miles south, and when he gets there, what does he do? Look at verse 9. He came thither unto a cave and lodged there. Again, I tell you, when this guy runs, he runs. So he has gone far, far away from the battle. He gets into a cave in Mount Sinai, and he said, this is where I am staying. And so look at verse 9, last part of the verse. The word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? God ever ask you that? You get worn out, you just want to give up, you can't go on anymore, you can't handle the pressure, you just don't feel like serving anymore, and so you're curling up somewhere, not serving the way you used to serve, no zeal, no passion, no excitement for God, you're worn out, you just want to throw it all in, and God says to you, what are you doing here? Well, I want you to notice Elijah's response because it'll give us some insight into what is going on. Look at verse 10. He said, this is Elijah talking to God. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, and the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars, they have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That was quite a response for a man to say that to God. But in essence, when God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here in this cave? Why aren't you serving me? Why have you given up? He basically says, don't you know what's going on? Lord, don't you get it? I have been very jealous for you. I've been trying to serve you. But these children of Israel, they have walked away from your covenant, your law. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed the prophets with a sword. He said, I'm the only one left. And I want to tell you something. They're trying to kill me. That's what I'm doing here. Well, watch how God responds. It's important. Verse 11. This is God now. He said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. I want you to step out of that cave. Get out there in front of me, before me. And then it says, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. So God's response to Elijah saying, don't you get it? Well, don't you understand why I'm quitting? God's response was to send an incredible wind, and things are blowing all over the place. But then the statement is made. But the Lord was not in the wind. Think about that. God shows to Elijah a tremendous demonstration of his power. But it says, but the Lord wasn't in it. In other words, the Lord said, but I'm not doing that. Now, let me give you an idea of what's going on, because we'll see a little bit more here. Elijah is saying, why didn't you do something about this? Why did you leave me stranded? And God says, let me show you my power. And so the wind comes. I think Elijah probably liked the idea of the wind. Not just my thinking that, you know, wind is a good idea, Lord. I'll tell you, that could that'd get their attention over there. 
But he said, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord said, I'm not doing that. So what happens? Middle of verse 11. After the wind, an earthquake. I think Elijah maybe liked the earthquake. There's some places where I'd be happy to see an earthquake. Kind of like, yeah, okay, Lord, that'd be good. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Verse 12. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Now, I want to tell you, and the Bible doesn't make it specifically clear, but I want to tell you what I believe God was doing. I believe God was saying to Elijah, Elijah, listen. If I want to take Ahab and Jezebel down, I can do that. I can use wind. I can use earthquakes. I could use fire. I can do anything. I'm God. Now, Elijah was upset because God did not do what Elijah wanted him to do. Elijah is frustrated. And that's why he acted the way he did with God. To dare to challenge God with that he was the one serving God. And the children of Israel walked away from God. And they threw down the altars. And they're killing the prophets. And, and wh why did you let this happen? Is kind of the idea. And this is important for us. Again, I think God said to Elijah, Elijah, I could take care of that. But... Elijah, at this point, this is not about Ahab and Jezebel. Believe me, I can take care of them. Elijah, this is about you. You've probably noticed that God doesn't always do things the way we want them done. You ever notice that? <laughs> we think this is what ought to happen. And it doesn't happen. And sometimes we can get to the, the point of Elijah. Lord, I'm, I'm trying to do right. In fact, I think I'm the only one really trying to do right. And look at, look at what you have allowed to happen. And again, I think Elijah, God was saying to Elijah, Elijah, listen, this is about you. This is about how you respond. And what I want us to see this morning is that when the pressure comes, you know this, God can do anything. God can do anything. Our problems, our pressures are not beyond his ability and power. He can do anything. And sometimes we, we wish he would. We wonder why. Lord, I don't understand why you allowed this to happen. Or, Lord, I don't understand why you don't do this. I don't understand it. And I think God's message to us is, look, I could take care of that. I'm God. I could change that. I'm God. But I want to know what's going to happen to you. Are you going to serve me 
or are you going to walk away because I'm not doing it your way? Are you going to quit because I'm not doing it your way? Watch what happens. Verse 13. And it was so. Excuse me. Let's go back to uh, verse 12. After the earthquake of fire, the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. The still small voice of God. Not all the excitement of the wind and the fire, whatever. The still small voice of God. And verse 13 says, and it was so when Elijah heard it, he heard that still small voice. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here? Why are you still here? I've shown you the greatness of my power. But I want to know what you're going to do. Why are you here? Why have you quit? Why are you hiding away? Why aren't you serving me? Well, if you look at verse 14, Elijah responds. And what's interesting is he hasn't learned a thing. And he's going to give the exact same response to God that he gave up in verse 10. And after seeing the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the voice of God, he hasn't learned a thing. And so look at verse 14. It's a repeat of verse 10. He said, here's what he said to God. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He didn't learn a thing. He dared to say the exact same thing to God. Fine, I saw the wind, I saw the earthquake, saw the fire. But you didn't take care of this problem. They're trying to kill me. Verse 15. The Lord said unto him, Go. And I always say that was not an invitation. <laughs> that was the Lord saying, Go. Now watch what he says to him. Watch what God says to Elijah. He said, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. I want you to leave here. Remember where he is. Mount Sinai, 170 miles south of Beersheba, way down. Now, I want you to think about the map for a moment. Here's the desert, the Negev down here. You come up. You get toward Israel, the lower part of Israel. You got the city of Beersheba. You go up through Judah. You get up into Samaria, in that area, uh, and that's where you're going to find Jezreel. You go on up to the coast. That's where you're going to find uh, Haifa today, Carmel, Carmel. Go on up out of Israel, and you come to two countries that are still there, still north of Israel. You have Lebanon 
and you have Syria. And the city that we're talking about here, Damascus, is Damascus, Syria. Same Damascus today that there was back then. So I want you to see what, what God is saying to Elijah. Here's Elijah way down here. And God is saying, leave this cave. Get up out of here. I want you to go all the way up through Israel. I want you to go all the way to the country of Syria. And I want you to go to the city of Damascus. That's what I want you to do. Now, what was he going to do when he got there? Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Quite an instruction. Get out of here. I want you to go three, four hundred miles. You get up there. Find this guy, Haziel. And I want you to anoint him to be the next king of Syria. That's an interesting instruction. Well, verse 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. So he's saying to him, you go all the way up to Syria, go to Damascus, anoint Hazael. Then you come down out of Syria, back into Israel. There's a guy named Jehu. I want you to find Jehu. I want you to anoint him to be king over Israel. He's going to be the next king. Then, middle of verse 16, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. You know what that means? In thy room that means instead of you. It's going to be in your room. You're there now. You're, you're going to be out. I want you to then go and anoint Elisha. He's going to be the next prophet instead of you. So verse 17. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Then verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now why do you say that? Do you remember when Elijah said, I'm the only one serving you? Remember that? And I think God kind of puts a little exclamation point, and he said, and by the way, you're not the only one serving me. I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. It's kind of like a little. So what happens? Verse 19. So he departed. So Elijah leaves. Horeb, leave Sinai. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him, and basically Elijah went on and anointed Elisha 
to be the next prophet. Now, what was wrong with that? What was wrong with it is that's not what God told him to do. God didn't say go anoint Elisha to be prophet in my stead. What did he say? Go to Syria. Go to Damascus. Go find Haziel. Then go to Israel, find Jehu, then find Elisha. Elijah left and said, I'm not. I'm not going to Syria. I'm not going to anoint Haziel. I'm not going to Israel. I'm not going to anoint Jehu. I'm not. I'm going to find Elisha, and I'm going to anoint him to be prophet in my stead. That's what I'm doing. He said, God, I quit. That's what he said, I quit. Folks, it isn't a matter of whether pressure comes. Today you might be here without much pressure. You're thinking, oh, man, it's so nice, no pressure. Well, more pressure will come. And pressure will either drive you to God or it will push you away from him. And there are too many people who under pressure and feeling like God didn't do what I wanted him to do, quit. They stop serving. Might be folks who used to come here don't come anymore because they have pressure and they, they quit. Or people who used to be very zealous, very excited about the Lord, and now they just kind of walk through the motions. I might ask you today, if you know the Lord, do you have more zeal today for God than ever in the past? Or would you look back and say, well, there was a time, honestly, when I had much more zeal for God, and I was much more passionate about God, and I really served God, but, but that's not the way it is now. But now, you know, I'm in church. Well, good, we're glad you're here. But there was a time when you and I had greater passion for God than today. What happened? What got in the way? For Elijah, it was very simple. God, you did not do what I thought you were going to do. You didn't do what I, I expected you to do. And in fact, I know you had the power to do it if you wanted to do it, but you didn't do it my way. I'm not serving you. Well, again, I remind you the God of heaven has power to do anything that he wants to do. It's not about him. He's got a perfect plan. His ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. But it's a matter of what it does to us. Do we run to him? Continue to serve him? Or do we fall by the wayside? If you follow the path of Elijah, God still used him in a couple of ways. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that one of the things that God gave Elijah was the ability to, number one, prophesy how Ahab would die and then to prophesy how Jezebel would die. And those were the two that he was so upset about. God said, I'm going to give you the ability. You'll, you'll prophesy about their death. But then the time came when what? He was taken up to heaven. He was 
translated. He was raptured right up. Someday you're going to be raptured. That's what happened to him. He was just taken right up to heaven. And Malachi tells us that someday Elijah's coming back. Did you know that? He's coming back to this earth before the great and terrible day of the Lord. In other words, before the wickedness of the tribulation, Elijah will be back on the earth. You can find it in the book of Malachi. But tragically, this wonderful servant of God, and God did not cast him off totally. It was Elijah who walked away from God. This wonderful servant of God didn't do well with the pressure. And for you and me, again, it's not a matter of whether or not pressure will come. It will. It will. But you and I can turn to the Lord. You'll find him faithful to you. He won't always do the things that you and I think he should do. A lot of times in my life, I wish God had done something. He decided not to do it. (laughs) Or I wish God had stopped some things and he decided to let it happen. Well, what do you do in that? You fall down before him. You say, Lord, I surrender it all to you. But I'm not quitting on you. I want to walk with you. But Elijah didn't do well facing the pressure. Where are you today? How you doing? How you doing? You pull him back because he hasn't done what you want? Or are you running to him? Surrendering to him? Psalm 18 and verse 30 has become a very special verse for me. Just the first part of it. As for God, his ways are perfect. That's our God. That's our God. Now, maybe that you're here today and you've never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I hope you are saved. But if you sit here today and say, well, I'm not saved or I'm not sure that I'm saved. If you died today, are you sure you would go to heaven? If the Lord Jesus Christ came back today and he is coming, are you sure that you would be taken to be with him? Is that certain for you? Because if it isn't, it needs to be. You need to be saved. And God is willing to save anybody who will turn from their sin and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Nobody's good enough to go to heaven, right? No church can get you to heaven. Baptism can't get you to heaven. All this religious stuff can't get you to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. It is a person named Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. And if you don't have him as your Savior, You can be, and you need to be, saved today. I'll never forget the night I was sitting in a service. The invitation was given, and I battled that. But then I responded and got saved. I'm so glad. If you're saved, you say, I remember when I got saved. You can tell me your story, and you're so glad. Let's bow our heads together, please. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I just want to talk to you for a moment before we end the service. First of all, I do want to ask you if you're saved and if you're sure. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Griffith, I I am not saved. Or you might say, well, I am not sure. But as you sit here today, you might also say, but I would like to be saved and be sure 
I'd like to be sure of knowing God. I'd like to be sure of going to heaven when this life ends. If that's you, you say, that's me. I'm, I don't have it settled, but I'd like to have it settled. That's you. Heads are bowed, eyes closed. Just you raise your hand. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything like that, but I want to pray for you. And so if that's you, you say, I'm not sure. It's not settled for me, but I want it settled. Just your hand up and then right back down again. Anybody like that? Praise the Lord. I hope you not raising your hand is your way of saying, I am saved. Well, if you're saved, I want to ask you this. How are you doing with the challenges, the pressures, the struggles? God does not always do what we wish he would do. I see that hand. Thank you. You may put it down. God does not always do what we would want him to do. And we can cry to him, and for some reason his perfect plan does not open the door to that thing that you wish he would do or that situation you wish he would change. God doesn't always do that. And some people turn away from him because of that. But he wants us to run to him, walk close to him. And so if you're struggling today, I want to challenge you to just open your heart and say, Lord, I want to turn to you. I, I need your joy. I need your peace. I need your help. But Lord, I don't want to quit. Encourage me, strengthen me, help me. Now as our heads are continued to be bowed and our eyes are closed, do you need to be saved with that hand? Is that what you're telling me? You need to be saved? All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for loving us. We know, Father, that your way is perfect. And we surely do not understand all that you do or allow to do or uh, allow to have happen. We don't understand all those things. But, Father, we want to serve you. We want your grace and your mercy and your compassion. We want you to strengthen us because we don't want the pressures of this world to push us away from you, but rather to draw us to you. So I pray for every person here, including myself and my sweet wife, and beg you to help us. Now, Father, if there's someone here who needs to be saved, I pray you grant them the grace to, to talk to me or talk to uh, somebody here from the church and get it settled today. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.